0: Sunday and midday goes on the air from the Rural Radio Network, and welcome to it. We are going to be facing a week that looks as though it was just pretty much what you would have to say, cut and dried for harvest, wouldn't you say, Susan?
1: Oh, I definitely would say, you know, there was guys this weekend that were talking about the amount of fog that we had on Saturday, Mm -hmm. and figured that about... Oh, January 15th or so, we should get one heck of a good snowstorm.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably so. All <laughs> right, ag headlines moving ahead here, and uh, West Nile virus is rearing its ugly head again, huh?
1: You know, it is, and that's what we're going to talk about at 1219. Shaley's going to talk with Dr. Ron Moorhead. He's a veterinarian in Keith County, Nebraska. We wouldn't think with all the frost we've had that we have to worry about the pesky mosquitoes, but they have found West Nile and a horse there. He's going to talk about some vaccinations as well that you need to do for your animals for rabies. At 1245, James McDonald is an associate professor of beef cattle production systems and nutrition with UNL. He's going to be talking about land use efficiency study that they're getting underway right now at the university. Then coming up at 117, Tatum Lee with USA is going to bring us up to date in some meetings that are coming up this week in Valentine and Brewster. So a busy day already in the farm department.
0: Absolutely. All right. Susan Littlefield, thank you. Jason Jorgensen's on sports new face in Lincoln. Huh? That's right. New AD
2: will get his thoughts about current head football coach Mike Riley coming up in sports. Uh, Mr. Moose says he is uh, not a fan of letting coaches go midseason. So that kind of gets that issue off of the table. Speaking of Husker football, they know when they will play on October 28th at Purdue. 6.30 kickoff. That was just announced this morning. Purdue ever improving. Uh, they had quite the game with Wisconsin this past weekend, whereas the Huskers had all kinds of issues with Ohio State. Also, uh, we'll talk some regional college stuff. Fort Hayes State, they are 7-0 and for the first time in 100 years. No yeah, kidding. Big things going on. With the Tigers, and we'll hear about a record-setting performance turned in by a Concordia Bulldog on Saturday, and we'll touch on the Major League Baseball playoffs, which continue on tonight.
0: You're going to get that all into one sports cast. We will try. All
2: right. So uh, baseball tonight, Astros at New York, and then the uh, Dodgers—they've got things in control right now against Cubs at two nothing in that series.
0: Well, if anyone can do it, it's Jason Jorgensen. We'll try. All right, Bob Brogan on business.
2: U.S. stocks are edging higher in midday trading, adding to the market's five straight weeks of gains. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase rose 1.6%, Apple picked up 1.5%. And also the latest on the oil rig, explosion near Orle- uh, New Orleans, and uh, they're looking into that situation. Also, is the Weinstein Company up for sale?
0: Okay. Very good. Are we really only at three minutes into this? Did I start a, a minute early? I don't in. know. I, I can't I can't How believe that we're through on. this thing in just that much time. Anything else to add, Susan?
1: <laughs> well, I just want to say, way to go Minnesota Vikings yesterday, beating the Green Bay Packers.
2: They should put an asterisk by
0: that win. Hey, hey,
2: hey. <laughs> Since Aaron Rodgers was hurt.
1: Yeah, he did. He's, he's going to be out for the season. Yeah, you can count him out for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah. And you can pretty much stick a fork in the Packers. They're, They're done. Without him. All
1: right. Yep. Very good. Okay. Well, that
0: has to come from our native, uh, Minnesotan here. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for your, uh, <laughs> thanks for your support. We appreciate no it very Okay. Well, that's, uh, about all the time we have. In fact, we raced through this thing. I don't know how we did it so fast, but, uh, it's time to turn things over to Dewey. So let's do that now. That's what's coming up today on midday. Paul Perkins slips in here to give us a look at our ag weather today, brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Boy, that's about as clear a sky as you're ever going to find, isn't it?
3: Yes, lots of clear skies right now, plenty of sunshine, and we are enjoying some very nice temperatures currently.
0: Yep. And uh, as we go forward, this is going to hang on for a while, isn't it?
3: Yes, all this week, uh, just a slight cool down over the weekend, and it's still going to be above normal this weekend. It's a cold front moving through. But otherwise, at temperatures right now, most areas about 60 to 65. A big disparity in the Nebraska panhandle. Scotts Bluff within the last hour at 47. That was just a little before 11 o'clock. Kimball within the last few minutes at 69. And that's just the county difference between those two towns there in Scotts Bluff and Kimball. But most of us about 60 to 65 across the area. We do have some rainings already into the upper 60s in western Kansas at Colby right now. Today looks to be another in a string of dry fall days and also the first of several days that we will see above normal temperatures about 5 to 10 degrees above normal from what we usually see in the middle of October. And some locations actually probably looking at highs about 15 degrees above normal at times this week. A strengthening trough of low pressure off to the west today, increasing our winds out of the southwest. That wind increase and the drier air, especially near some dry fields, will increase that near-critical fire weather concern. Most areas, though, pretty green from the recent rains. A light south wind will help to keep the temperatures milder for tonight than what we saw last night. We did see many areas of eastern Nebraska and central and east Kansas last night experience their first frost of this season. A westerly flow this week right underneath the dome of high pressure will keep our temperatures on the unceasingly warm side. There is a chance of rain this weekend and some slightly cooler air arriving on Saturday with the cold front. But still, once again, as we mentioned before, it should stay above normal for this weekend, just slightly above normal anyhow. That is reflected in the long-term forecast. The temperatures forecast to start out warmer than normal in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend and early next week. Then we're expected to start trending to seasonal or near normal the middle of next week through October 29th. The precipitation forecast For Nebraska and Kansas, it does start out with above normal rainfall this weekend and early next week, especially with that front. Looks like our better chances of more moisture are going to be over Kansas. That front probably going to stall out as we see some waves of low pressure move through. Otherwise, our Nebraska and Kansas forecast expects below normal rainfall the middle of next week through the 29th. The weather factors affecting the markets include harvest disruption in much of the Midwest and a dry week ahead in central Brazil. Much of the nation this week expected to be dry with above normal temperatures. That lone exception, the Pacific Northwest into the northern Rockies, where it will become a little more stormy. There are still harvest disruptions in the Midwest after some recent moderate to heavy rain. But conditions in the Midwest for harvest expected to slowly improve this week. With the drier forecast, the harvest progress expected to continue in the northern plains where they have mild and mostly dry weather. Rain across the southern plains has slowed down the wheat planting there, but drier conditions this week expected to speed up that process. The delta and southeast look to be mainly dry also this week. That's going to help out with the harvest after some heavy tropical rains in the southeast U.S., and the winter wheat planting will start to get underway Uh, Full speed ahead across the Delta with those drier conditions. Central Brazil's weather expected to remain hot and dry for a while here. That pattern is depleting the soil moisture, also slowing the soybean planting and increasing the stress to any developing soybean crop and they are thinking that there may be some replanting of soybeans in central Brazil. There has been a weather pattern change in Australia with some more frequent and heavier rains, but most wheat areas, unfortunately, not expected to see much of benefit from that weather pattern in Australia.
0: And our ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Paul, it uh, looks to me like if you know anyone who has been putting off starting harvest because it was too wet or too cold, you're rapidly running out of any excuses. Right? Exactly.
3: It's going to be ideal this week. It's going to be full steam ahead like it was last week. And uh, not too much rain over the weekend and or much in the way of dry conditions. Uh, so things are looking pretty good right now.
0: But nobody knows a producer like that. So.
3: <laughs> I don't think so. No. no they're They're antsy. They want to get it out.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) When you need weather, anytime.
3: KRVN.com.
4: doubt that epa curbs on monsanto basf herbicides will halt crop damage shaley peters as we take a check of ag news here on the rural radio network u.s weed specialists doubted on friday that new federal restrictions on the use of a controversial weed killer sold by monsanto co and basf will prevent reoccurrences next year of crop damage linked to the chemical. The impact of the rules limiting sprays of dicamba herbicides announced by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency may affect Monsanto's biggest ever biotech seed launch, soybeans engineered to resist the chemical. Nothing in these new restrictions addresses volatility, and that's still an issue, said Aaron Hager, a weed scientist and professor at the University of Illinois. Under EPA's guidelines, only certified pesticide applicators or people under their supervision will be allowed to spray dicamba formulations manufactured by Monsanto and BASF next year. The restriction may not do much to reduce crop damage related to springs, though, because many farmers and commercial applicators are already certified, experts say. Since we proposed this in a voluntary fashion, we're pleased with it. Scott Partridge, Monsanto's vice president of global strategy, said about the EPA rules in an interview... For 2018, Monsanto predicts extend soybeans will be grown on about 40 million U.S. acres or more than 40% of all soybean plantings. Oxgard estimated extend soybean plantings at 30 to 35 million acres. And what are some recommendations made in a recent study on how ag data collection for USDA NAS can produce more accurate findings? Linda Young of USDA NAS explains the desire to improve data collection for county-level crop and cash rent. We have two primary programs
1: that have county estimates associated with them. One of them is the county estimates for acreage yield and production, and the other is for cash rents. And most people have heard that farmers would like us to publish more, not just farmers, but others would like us to publish more counties, especially with our acreage yield and production. We don't have the data for that, but we have alternative data that we can bring to bear on the problem. And the question is, how do we do that in the best way? How do we improve our estimates so that what we publish is as precise or more precise than we have now, and we publish more counties. That's our goal.
4: Estimates led to a recent study and recommendations to reach the school by the year 2025. And finding farmland, a new website that offers educational tools to help young farmers address the top obstacles to starting a farm, access to both land and capital was launched today by the National Young Farmers Coalition and Fathom Information Design. Features include a first-of-its-kind land affordability calculator that makes it easy for farmers to learn about options for financing farmland tools such as easements to help make it more affordable. Buying land is one of the most consequential decisions that a farmer will make, said Lindsay Lusher Schutte, executive director and co-founder of NYFC. We built Finding Farmland to help farmers make that choice with more confidence. The tool gives users a full view of their credit options, the full cost of land over time, and strategies to make farmland more affordable. Information on that website can be found at ruralradio.com. And finally, overall sales of tractors were lower in September compared to last year. The Association of Equipment Manufacturers' monthly report on equipment sales found the sale of all tractors in the U.S. in September 2017 were down 10% compared to the same month last year. Meanwhile, combine sales were up 6% for the month. Sales of combines for the year total roughly 2,900, a 4% decrease from 2016. That's a quick check of your ag news. I'm Shaylee Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The first case of West Nile virus has been confirmed in a horse in southwest Nebraska. i Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and here to visit with us about that today is Dr. Ron Moorhead. He's a veterinarian in Keith County, Nebraska. And Dr. Moorhead, you just had this case confirmed recently, but it's the only one you've seen so far. However, uh, talk a little bit about what this means and some of the symptoms you see.
5: Yeah, that that's correct. We we had one last year also. I don't know how many in the total in the state of Nebraska there were, but we did have another case last year also. It's um it's, you know, it, it came to the United States in I, I believe 1999 and and the real outbreak that everybody remembers here in Nebraska was in 2002 where there were hundreds of horses. So it's still around. I think it's still important to vaccinate for it. This horse was um showing signs of uh, neurologic signs where it was um weak and had trouble standing um um wasn't eating drinking very well um the owners recognized it probably for what it was and had us come out and and do diagnostics the, the hard part is as far as um for veterinarians it's hard to to sort this out with rabies which will also look the same and um it both are a bad deal for the horse but uh I think with rabies, it's a lot uh, more serious of an issue or that's always fatal to the animal. And uh, untreated in a human, unrecognized and untreated in a human, it can be fatal too. There's a vaccine for both of them, and they both work real well. So um, um, I think it's important to have those horses um, and dogs and um, vaccinated because it can be protected against.
4: Now, Dr. Moorhead, while this isn't expected to become widespread, at least not on the West Nile side, what are some of those specific symptoms that uh, a producer might see in their horses or in their animals with West Nile virus or rabies, as you said?
5: Well, the the, the signs that you'll see commonly in a horse is, is you'll see uh, muscle tremors. That's early on in the disease. And um, you'll see the chest muscles and the and the muzzle just um, tremor. And, uh, and then it progresses to a... Um, Oh, generalized weak, weakness. It's a meningoencephalitis where it, it affects the meninges, or the lining of the spinal column and the the brain. And and they take and um, some of the horses even treated. There is no specific treatment. It's, it's mostly symptomatic. Um, there's things that we do use, and it seems to help. But um, no specific antibiotics or anything that you can use to to treat it um but it, it it progresses they become weak and um some horses um become recumbent and uh, a lot of those horses that become recumbent um um die and uh, again this is the time that that you really want to be cautious because it's it's hard to to know without testing whether you have rabies or west nile and uh, and so far this year in in Nebraska as of October 2nd anyways there was eighteen confirmed cases, and I'm sure there's a lot more of it around um, of rabies. Um, there was in Arthur, Imperial, Lincoln, Rushville, so you know it's pretty widespread through the state um, uh, this is uh, the first um, West Nile case, but I'm sure there's more of it out there. It's just not recognized there are subclinical type cases.
4: All right. Thanks so much. It's Dr. Ron Moorhead, a veterinarian out in Keith County, Nebraska, talking to us about that first confirmed case of West Nile virus found in a horse out there and also what to look out for as far as rabies are concerned and why vaccinating for both is important. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time now to check sports with Jason Jorgensen.
2: Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska has a new director of athletics, Washington State Athletics Director Bill Moose was introduced yesterday in Lincoln. He comes to the Huskers after successful stints as AD at both Oregon and Washington State. Now the big decision looming for him will be the situation with football coach Mike Riley. Moose was asked about that yesterday. I do know Mike Riley. He was at Oregon State when I was at Oregon. So uh,
0: even though we were rivals, uh, I did respect uh, him and and the job he did there. And uh, I was surprised when
2: he left to come here, but I thought that uh, he should do very, very well. I really haven't talked to Mike much uh, since he made that move. As we speak right now, he's my football coach, and I'm going to support him. Certainly hope for for uh, some victories here towards the latter part of the season. On the field, and you was blown out at home by Ohio State on Saturday night, 56-14, to to fall the 3-4 and four in the season. Now the Huskers have this weekend off. Another Nebraska football news, their game at ever-improving Purdue will be a 6-30 kickoff. That'll be Central Time kickoff on the Big Ten Network on October 28th. The Fort Hay State football team is 7-0 and for the first time in 100 years. On Saturday, the Tigers scored 27 unanswered points to stun Washburn, 37-20. A school record single-game rushing total by Ryan Durdon and three first-quarter interceptions by DeMario Martin spurred the Concordia football team to a 44-14 win over Midland on Saturday. Durnan rushed for 266 yards and scored four touchdowns, but he gives all the credit to his offensive line.
6: The O-line demolished people. Uh, Seth Fiske, you
7: know, he's always manhandling people. Robert Ferguson, the fullback, you know, he's always leading the hole for me, creating the space.
2: The 266-yard ties the school record of rushing in a game set back in 1972. Concordia is 3-3 and overall, 2-2 and in conference action. This weekend, they're on the road at Dort. The Houston Astros send 14-game winner Charlie Morton to the mound in the AL Championship Series of Game 3 tonight as they'll take on the Yankees. CeCe Sabathia pitches for the Yankees as they try to stop a seven-game ALCS losing streak that dates back to 2010 against Texas. And the Dodgers and Cubs will trade sunglasses for long-sleeves in the NL Championship Series as it shifts from L.A. to Chicago. Dodger Stadium was 92 degrees for first pitch of Game 2 on Sunday night. Temperatures tomorrow night in Chicago projected to dip into the low 50s for Game 3 with first pitch set for 8.01 local time. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the
8: Rural Radio Network. Clear skies in Nebraska tonight, with lows in the 30s in the west to 40s in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. Authorities have captured two inmates who are accused of obtaining two shotguns while escaping from a Kansas jail near that state's northern border with Nebraska. The Kansas Bureau of Investigation says 46-year-old Jeffrey Gunther and 30-year-old Mattson Hatfield escaped Saturday night from the Marshall County Jail after a fire was lit in a cell. The KBI says Hatfield fled to a nearby home and surrendered a short time later. A pickup truck also was stolen at gunpoint from a civilian county employee. The KBI says Gunther was arrested after rolling the truck in rural Gage County of Nebraska. The KBI says shots were fired at a Kansas Fire Department truck and at a man in front of a home. No one was hurt and no charges have been filed in this escape. Students at UNL are restoring an American treasure. Bryce Duskett has more from Lincoln. For a small
2: group of students involved with the tractor restoration program at the University of Nebraska, fixing up tractors of their great-grandparents' era is a key part of college life. The group typically restores two to three tractors each year to be used either for display at the Lester Larson Tractor Test and Power Museum or sold to benefit the museum. This year, the club was tasked with a unique challenge. Mike Bame is Vice President and Vice Chancellor of Agriculture and Natural Resources at
6: the University of Nebraska. He explains the project. And that is to uh, prepare a 1945 Alice Chalmers Model C for display at the Homestead National Monument near Beatrice. Uh, Forty years ago, it was used to clear land on the last homestead claim in the United States. That was filed in 1974. Bame says the goal is not to make this tractor look like new or glean like it's fresh off the assembly line. It really is to uh, um, show and serve as a testament to one homesteader's grit. The tractor was
2: airlifted by a helicopter in June from a roadless site in Alaska, the last land in America to be claimed under the Federal Homestead Act of 1862. Homesteader Ken Deerdorf used it to clear hundreds of tree stumps from farmland, which was required by the homesteading
8: law. Reporting for the World Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. Kansas State University researchers say a dominant forage grass in the Great Plains could be diminished by climate change to less than half of its current stature during the next 75 years. Studies involving Kansas State University faculty indicated that changes would potentially shrink the plant size of the big blue-stem grass by 60%. That kind of transformation would disrupt the region's livestock economy. Replay the game, the interview, or feature you missed by catching a podcast. From the front page of krvn.com, I'm Dave Schroeder in the News Center.
4: A project at Nebraska aims to improve land use efficiency. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and we talked about that today with Jim McDonald. He's an associate professor of beef cattle production systems and nutrition with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And Jim, when we look at this, it's important first to get a little bit of background behind why you're doing this study. So go into some details on what you're hoping to do with this study and why you're doing this study.
7: Sure. Well, the the background for this, um, as we've put together, you know, where where does cow-calf production systems fit in the future, Um, there are three realities that have really driven this project. The first is increasing population growth. The models say somewhere between 9 and 10 billion people by 2050. Um, And so we simply have to produce more food and there'll be more cars on the road and and more urban sprawl and, and just more people all over. Um, and so we're going to have to be more efficient, um, in our land use and, and beef cattle will still be a part of that system. The other reality is, as you look at what happened from 2006 to 2012, um, in terms of crop production and what happened to corn price at that time, uh, we had tremendous conversion of grasslands, especially in the eastern part of the state, uh, and kind of that eastern side of the central Great Plains, um, during that time frame because corn prices were high and, and that looked like a, a really good thing to do uh, those dynamics have changed now but it's much more difficult to move those acres back into perennial forage and and that will probably be the case moving forward as well um, and so how do you fit cow calf production systems onto acres that are primarily invested in crop production that was the second driving force and then finally uh, i'm teaching the university system and so i see this firsthand every day but it's increasingly difficult for young people to gain access to the industry. And so we've got to start thinking about different models in order to give them opportunities. So um, with a relatively small investment, uh, either working with a family member or somebody that they're not related to, ha- allow them to be able to integrate cows onto uh, a, a cropping system without perennial forage. Those are the three things that, that drove us to investigate this system.
4: So what is the timeline then for this study, and what are you hoping to find over that timeline?
7: So um, we've gotten a five-year commitment uh, through co-funding from the University of Nebraska, some internal funding, as well as a large grant from the Foundation of Food and Agricultural Research. Uh, That funding runs for five years. Uh, We intend to run this system for a minimum of six. Um, And really we're comparing a a very traditional cow-calf system By traditional, I mean they're spring-born, they're grazing perennial forage throughout the summer, the calf is weaned in the fall, and then she grazes corn residue, corn stalks uh, through the winter, and then probably some minimal uh, feed and supplement inputs uh, into the spring before she calves again. Compare that then to how would you develop a system without that perennial forage? Uh, we've got some experience, of course. Nebraska has long used corn residue uh, as a forage resource. More recently, we've gotten some experience using uh, what we commonly call cover crops. Although, if we're grazing them, they're they're no longer providing cover um, as as either a fall or a spring forage. We want to utilize that to meet the peak nutritional demands during peak lactation, and so that becomes a fall calving cow or late summer fall calving cow um, that then goes on to. In our system, that'll be oats that'll provide us with a fall forage that's high quality and hopefully meets the demands of lactation. Um, and that calf gets gets uh, weaned uh, early, first part of the year, January, February timeframe. Uh, and then she also goes to corn residue for spring grazing. But then, building on the confinement cow work that we've been working on over the past five years, uh, she'll go into confinement uh, during the summer months while the crops are growing and fed combination of red residues and byproducts. So, two distinctly different systems that we're investigating, interested in where the risk is at in those two systems, what reproduction is like in those two systems, and ultimately what profitability looks like.
4: And I think it's important to address why Nebraska is such a good fit for this as a state, but also why the University of Nebraska Lincoln is such a good fit for this project as a university. So go into some of that, will you?
7: Yeah, Nebraska, there's no doubt that Nebraska is uniquely positioned worldwide for beef cattle production. Think about the resources that we have, water, corn production, ethanol production that gives us byproducts. Uh, We've got the Sandhills, and so we'll always have a feeder calf supply. Uh, We've got slaughter capacity unlike any other state. Our industry, our feeding industry is spread out, and so we're good at nutrient management. So Nebraska's got a lot of things going for it uh, in terms of, you know, maintaining its current position as global leader in beef cattle production. In addition to that, we're very fortunate at the University of Nebraska that we've got these integrated resources that we can accomplish, um, you know, running a production system like this. Nebraska has long been known for, for systems research. If you think about, uh, in the Sand Hills, um, many cap, many people, Calvin May, and, and you trace that back to some early work at the, at the university. They started out looking at June calving systems, but that led to May calving systems. We hope that this is a, has a similar type impact long term um, that really gives people another option to add a, an enterprise onto their um, farm.
4: All right, thanks so much. It's Jim McDonald. He's an associate professor, beef cattle production systems and nutrition with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, talking to us with the project. They're getting kicked off at the university, aiming to improve land use efficiency. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network.
9: Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with the market report on the Rural Radio Network. Well, we are trading on the lows of the day shortly before the close. As we've had further de- deterioration in these futures prices, December corn at three fifty down two and three quarters march three sixty three and three quarters also down two and three quarters may three seventy two and a half down two and three quarters, and next December's down two and three quarters at three ninety five and a half November soybeans nine ninety one down nine and a quarter January ten o one and a half down eight and three quarters. March ten eleven down eight and a quarter. Next November ten oh five and a quarter down five and a quarter. December Chicago wheat four thirty five and three quarters down three and three quarters. Kansas City December four thirty two and three quarters March four fifty one both down three and a half. December Minneapolis wheat six oh nine and a half down five and a half. And we uh, sold off late in the session in cattle futures and they settled lower. October live cattle 111.72 down 110. December 116.82 down 30. February 120.92 down 15. April 121.65 down 35. October feeder cattle settled 5 lower at 154 even. November 154.55 down 45. January 152.55 down 50. March 149.90 down 45. Small rally in these lean hogs, though. December hogs at 63.70 was up 150. February 68.30 up 85. April 72.02 up 7. Right now on Wall Street, the Dow up 55 at 22,927. NASDAQ up 10 at 6,616. Both are records. S&P 500 up 1 at 2,553.
10: Oh, Ed, see the headlines?
5: Yep, Credence soybeans are designed using smart genetics.
10: Look, state-of-the-art breeding advances the best germplasm.
7: Plus, tailored varieties for any field conditions with choice in herbicide-tolerant traits.
10: And Credence soybeans come back by Bear's ongoing innovation.
5: Want increased yields and ROI? Plant the smarter soybean.
10: Talk to an authorized Credence retailer or discover the right Credence variety at credense.bear.us.
0: Always read and follow label instructions. Hi, this is Dirk Christians and host of Midday on the Rural Radio Network, where the reminder each weekday program is available on your schedule as a podcast. Our summary of the day's ag news and our award-winning features, regional and worldwide ag weather plus sports news, the settlement numbers, and commentary. Everything that happened on the way, on the way home. The Midday Podcast is available by 3 p.m. Central at RuralRadio.com or search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in.
9: Next, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about the livestock futures trade, particularly that uh, turnaround in cattle futures. Joe.
11: Yeah, it was a turnaround. Uh, uh, we're ba- basically trading mixed most of the day, with one exception, the October uh, contract, which basically stayed lower all day long. I think we're going through some uh, pretty good liquidation uh, out of the October uh, cattle, but uh, uh, late in the session now. Uh, started to lose ground and uh, then uh, right near the uh, close came under uh, some pretty good pretty good selling pressure and uh, that way we got uh, uh, lower close all the way straight across Uh, This, despite the fact that we had a pretty good cash trade last week uh, and we had cutouts higher today but uh, uh, the volume in the box was eh, pretty light even for a monday so uh, i think uh, while we're doing is we're running into resistance once again basically in the same places that we have before and uh, just keeping us range bound at this point. So uh, all eyes will turn to cash and uh, the cattle on feed report uh, later this week. So uh, a lower day uh, in the cattle, just the opposite in the hogs. A uh, higher day, sharply higher out of the de- nearby December contract, t- triple dig- digit gains cutouts were higher, cash leading the way once again, so it has been cash that has been the catalyst for the hogs, and that uh, continued right into today.
9: Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. Now, a new estimate on the cattle slaughter for today, just 110,000, 5,000 less than last Monday. Hog slaughter, 446,000, 17,000 less than last Monday
4: joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. RCAF USA is set to hold meetings in Nebraska the end of this week. Tatum Lee, RCAF Development Director, is visiting with us now about these meetings to be hosted. And Tatum, you'll be here with Bill Bullard, uh, CEO of RCAF USA. So just give us the full details on why you're coming to, to Nebraska, where you'll be, and what you'll be doing.
10: Well, hi, Shaley, and thank you so much for having us, uh, having us on. We are so excited to be coming back to Nebraska Bill Bullard and I will be there Thursday and Friday and um, I've had the great pleasure of just coming on board with RCAF here in the last year and meeting several of your, your members um, our RCAF members that are also ICON members and actually it was a couple weeks ago at the South Dakota Stock Growers Convention um, that I was stopped and, and um, was asked hey can we do a, a rollover auction for you guys and I said you know what that sounds fantastic we would appreciate that so we will be rolling into Valentine on the 19th for a rollover auction big thanks to Kenny and Roxy Fox for donating that animal for us and a big thanks to Greg Arndt at Valentine uh, Livestock Barn they are so supportive so supportive of our cap and the work that we're doing so that'll be the rollover auction will be on the 19th and then we will be having a a dinner where bill will be speaking at seven o'clock that night at the pepper meal Uh, i would encourage folks um, i believe that we will be all getting there around 5:36, just kind of depending on when the, when the auction gets over with, but Bill will be speaking at seven o'clock and I know that he will be speaking on making um, making the cattle industry great again. And then I will be also touching on the global round table for sustainable beef, which seems to be an issue that some folks are starting to really kind of understand and um, others haven't even heard of it. In my opinion, it is probably one of the most insidious things facing the cattle producer And really, the issues that, that we're fighting, for instance, uh, mandatory animal ID traceability is a cornerstone of global, the global roundtable. So it's basically a, a program that the United Nations has been, uh, has worked in conjunction with an environmental group, the World Wildlife Fund, to birth the global roundtable. And, and, uh, NCBA has really kind of put the cowboy hat on corruption there. So our members need to understand what they're facing, um, And so we will be talking about that on Thursday night. Uh, And then as well on Friday, Shaylee, we're having a a meeting in Brewster, Nebraska, at Uncle Buck's Lodge. Um, And we're so thankful for the folks at Uncle Buck's Lodge to have opened their lodge up to us. It's going to be a potluck. I believe that starts around 536. So meat will be provided. And they are encouraging everyone to bring, I believe it was sides and a dessert or or a dessert. Uh, So... Uh, Bill and I will both be speaking at that meeting, and and um, we're we're really we're really excited. There are there's a momentum shift in the cattle industry right now in terms of um, producers are becoming more educated, and so it's exciting to see that they're really kind of taking a um, having a stake in the game and and saying, you know what, um, NCBA, stop lying to us. And uh, and and really educating themselves. So it's it's been interesting. It's been interesting to be part of. It's been exciting to be part of.
4: All right. Thanks so much, Tatum Lee, RCAF USA Development Director, talking about meetings happening the end of this week in Valentine and Brewster. More details on those can be found at RuralRadio.com. for the Rural Radio Network and Lee Peters. Mm-hmm.
9: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We lower lowering the grain and soybean futures today. Let's talk about it with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. And he's also publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Soybean meal, soybean oil, soybeans itself. Uh, what led the way?
6: Well, just, uh, I think of, you know, continued harvest here, I, we crush numbers, but they really weren't that bad. I mean, we're ahead of crush pace already, so I, I, I hesitate to think that was doing it. I just think it was producer selling them. It's a very slow day. Sessions are, you know, I mean, you look at the corn markets; you can just fall asleep. Uh, really, the last six weeks, you know, barring these USDA reports, the markets just don't seem to want to move off of 350. And beans, you know, without a story down in Brazil, they're, uh, you know, they're going to face some heavy farmers selling here in the short run. Now we'll get through that, and I think, you know, the the I think the easier way uh, the market will go is higher. Uh, given that we'll need to incentivize production, but it was corn at the deferred's where they are. You know, you can make the case for beans needing to rally, but in the front month, it's you know it's such a disparity there between the, the deferred contracts on corn that there just isn't a lot of incentive I think for the for the corn to rally or the beans to rally right now.
9: Well, John, isn't it true that we still need wheat to try to get get a semblance here of some more positive impact in the market?
6: yeah I mean we really we we need that to move we need uh you know some of the outside markets to compete with corn uh you know even a soybean rally would be good i think in the short run for corn uh but it's unfortunately. You know the carry is going to widen, in my opinion, on these rallies. Meaning basis is probably going to weaken. And you know I'm kind of preparing myself to get stuff set up for JFM period. Uh, if you've got to sell that first quarter of uh, of the year, especially the first part of the first uh, month of January, I think you got to be looking at that March delivery contract and, and trying to find a place 375, 380 would be ideal, in my opinion, that you want to move it on. And and it'll take some bullish news to get the market moving that way. But I I, I just feel like we're we're not going anywhere in the short run. I think. You know, dips are going to be bought by the, you know, the wide profit margins that feeders and the ethanol producers have and on the, on the rally side. Farmers are waiting simply to move and they're, they're, they're constrained by time as well. So over the short run, wheat, a wheat rally would be helpful. But, you know, the stories we've had for wheat, which has kind of been the similar thing across the wheat complex for the last year and a half, two years is we get a weather rally off of something in Australia or something overseas and then all of a sudden it does rain and then the prospects for higher, higher supplies is there. Um, you know, just nothing seems to be changing short term. We need a U.S. acreage story or Canadian acreage story to really push the markets four months from having that kind of news break.
9: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, check out the website, DanielsAgMarketing.com. Corn was 2 to 3 lower. Soybeans, 8 to 9 lower. Wheat, 2 to 3 lower. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.